Welcome to The Reserve, a news and thoughts podcast from the Centralverse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard, and today is episode number 34, and I am delighted to welcome back the man that defines the Fed beat, Mike Derby. Thanks for hopping on for a quick emergency reaction podcast, uh, Michael. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And Stephen Kelly, good to have you back. Hey, guys. So a little more than eight months ago, on a Tuesday afternoon in September, Mike posted a story about financial disclosures from the Dallas Fed president, Robert Kaplan. Now, if that story was the first flap of the little butterfly, yesterday was the hurricane, or maybe the hurricane moving inland, or maybe the hurricane dissipating. I'm not sure where we're at in this metaphor. But clearly, what started as at that post uh, is now a very much larger uh, story and events and all sorts of dominoes have fallen beyond mixing my metaphors here. So we can say that uh, for sure, uh, the announcement yesterday that Lori Logan will be the next Dallas Fed president certainly felt, at least it felt to me, like one type of conclusion kind of to that era that began uh, uh, those eight months ago. Um, although it certainly won't be the the last door to close on on that story. So we wanted to get Mike back on to the to the show to react about it. He had a good piece that we'll include in the in the show notes um about logan and about the dallas fed in general and that's where we, i kind of wanted to start and uh, mike you've been on this on this on this beat for a few years and you've actually interacted with a few uh with a with a number of dallas fed presidents and i wonder if we could just start there just talk a little bit about your experience working with these with these different uh these different people yeah, well, I mean, up until this point, I mean, I guess the the, the through line of, of the Dallas Fed has been kind of colorful, brash uh, bank presidents who really, you know, were, uh, had some, had an ability to, you know, speak with, a, uh, you know, I guess the way I started is like, what I, I've been doing this for a long time. I go back to a time when there was a guy named Robert McTeer who ran the Dallas Fed. And Robert McTeer uh, wrote haikus about monetary policy. Uh, he was, um, I think he went by the name, uh, the nickname, the Lonesome Dove, because, you know, he was, he was in an era of the Fed where, uh, you know, it, it, obviously things were a lot different 20 years ago and, and kind of, I, I guess you might say things were more sort of just, just sort of dispositionally hawkish about monetary yeah. policy. And Robert McTeer, his big thing was um, about uh, productivity and productivity was changing things and that maybe inflation dynamics were changing, um, you know, how the Fed looked at the relationship between an inflation and and the the, uh, job market was changing. And so it made McTeer, you know, this, this, this dovish character. And, and, and he was, again, spoke a lot, um, colorful when he spoke. He retired. Yep. He was then replaced by a man named Richard Fisher, or he was succeeded by a man named R- Richard Fisher, who was a former hedge fund operator. Uh, guy had run for Senate, as he noted, as a conservative Democrat. Um, he lost, uh, I think, to Kay Bailey Hutchinson. I'm not sure what years it was. Uh, okay. Trade negotiator, like worked on, you know, worked with helping to negotiate free trade deals with China, all, all that kind of stuff. And he came in and, you know, he was, uh, he probably in all the time I've been doing this compared to anybody probably gave the most memorable pot speeches, <laughs> you know, they were full of crazy allusions to things and, and colorful phrasing and, and, you know, I, uh, 
infamously at one point he um, referred to the Fed putting beer goggles on markets um, because over time what Richard Fisher came to be was this just pretty persistent critic of all the actions the Fed was taking after the you know the great uh, after the financial crisis he was very very worried about all, what all the easy money policies and also the first rounds of asset buying were going to do to financial markets and you know whether they were going to drive bubbles and all that kind of stuff and he was very uh, you know very very adamant about you know explaining how he was you know thinking the market was fueling bubbles all over the place yeah one of the things that he was concerned about came to pass in his time at least sure. um sure. of course it's, it's a long game so you don't know how all these things are going to play out but at the time he was making the warnings the bad things did not come to pass so mr fisher hit mandatory retirement and he retired and um of course on the way out the door he came to new york uh, gave a speech to the Economic Club of New York, uh, was introduced by the then president, Bill Dudley, uh, getting a nice welcome, Richard sure. Fisher is his final speech. And Fisher then decided to absolutely rip the entire Federal Reserve system and call for massive reforms, including putting <laughs> it up to a vote who would run the open market operations, you know, oh. like, the, you know, the idea that the New York Fed doesn't have to be the, uh, you know, vice chair of, of the, uh, uh, you know, FOMC. Like a real, just like burn the bridges, Amazing. torch it, <laughs> torch it. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it, it was, uh, it was, you know, it, it definitely raised a few eyebrows. That 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 final set of remarks. He retired inexplicably. The the Dallas Fed took an extended amount of time to find a replacement for him. I mean, because it was one of those things. It was he had a mandatory retirement, knew he was going to retire, but it still took them many months after he was. Uh, out to find yeah. a new president. Guy they found was um, a guy named Robert Kaplan, who at the time it was, I think he was a Harvard professor on, on management and leadership issues. But before that, he had had like a 20 year career at Goldman Sachs, rising up to like lead their investment banking operations. And, uh, you know, he was kind of a left field choice because he didn't really have any real connection to, to Texas or anything like that. You know, he, he was from Kansas, but he been a you know investment banker in New York City for yeah. a long time. And he wasn't like really a, a the, the connection to Dallas was not entirely clear, but he became the bank president. And uh again, because of his profile, uh he yeah, as a you know financial market uh guy, he became sort of the voice on the Fed for like real if you needed like a reserve bank president to talk about nitty-gritty market details to really like be able to like give an assessment of financial conditions, risk appetites. Uh, he was the guy to go to. And, and you know, one thing I also thought was notable about him is, um, you know, we always kind of deal with this question from time to time when, you, when the yield curve inverts and like, what does right. it mean? Like, and this all is still to my mind, unsettled argument about whether it's, you know, is it correlation or causation? Like what, what the hell is going on there? Because we know inversions precede rec recessions almost you know, like one for one. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a great signal, but nobody knows exactly what's going on there. And, and, and Rob had a great explanation about how he thought that the in, inverted yield curve impaired bank credit creation, you know, the, because of the, how the interest rates were yeah. moving around and, and, and impaired cre you know, credit creation and therefore created a headwind for the economy and yeah. might contribute to recession. So like Rob was a great guy to go to for, for those sort of comments. And uh, so, you know, he was a, oftentimes hawkish on different, I mean, well, actually, I would say he was actually fairly pragmatic, but, you know, he, he got sure. hawkish 
points. He was willing to send about things. He, you know, he dissented against the Fed's new framework, for example, which, um, you know, was one of the few people to do that. Uh, although it was like um, his dissension against the Fed's uh, new inflation fighting framework, I think was kind of was fairly technical. It wasn't like a repudiation yeah. of the whole thing. Um, so, you know, that was the, the, you know, the voice that that was the role that Rob played on, on the Dallas Fed and also was a very, very, you know, frequent public speaker, you know, out there all the time, yeah. you know, TV hits, uh, interviews, um, lots of speech making and traveling around that giant district, you know, that the Dallas Fed had. And then, you know, we get to the events of uh, last September where, you know, turned up the financial forms that showed, you know, the trading that he'd been doing. And again, we always stress the trading was completely, you know, signed off on by the bank's internal lawyers. Yep. Uh, um, um, you know, it, uh, and even when Rob resigned, you know, as kind of the controversy swirled around that, you know, he, there was no, you know, again, no, there's been no. Not pushed out. Not pushed out. You know, he resigned. He yep. he stated at the time he just he didn't want his controversy and the questions around his situation to be you know distraction to the Fed at an obviously um, you know very fraught time. And so, right. and he was also coming up towards retirement anyway. So you know it, that's that's that was the situation. So so he he left he left the Dallas Fed early. That left you know them in the place where they had to find a new bank president. And so that search uh, was was uh i guess finally uh, we we just you know, the search uh, conclusion yesterday yeah and that's amazing there are so many, i pre i pretend like i know the i know the bios of a lot of these <laughs> fomc people and like 95 percent of what you just said was exciting and new to me that's just, <laughs> I, I need to get i need to go back through some of your old stuff and get uh, get some of these haikus up on my wall i don't care what they say just the fact that they exist is worthy of of being funny well, I hope I hope the Dallas Fed still has them up there somewhere um, uh, because they, they you know, uh, again, you, you, you don't get too many uh, poetry writing, um, you know, monetary policymakers. So so that was that was always that was always fun. Yeah, it's too bad that uh, expeditiously. I mean, what is that? Six syllables. You can't even put that in two of the three lines. Then. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so, so we've gotten to, to, to this point, we've gotten today. So then uh, the announcement comes out, uh, comes out yesterday and, you know, I guess, tell us about kind of the reaction, uh, give us a little bit of maybe if you can background on, on, on Logan and, and we can actually start also talking about why maybe she was picked, uh, you know, kind of given that background of, you know, I think it's a, it's a perfect follow up to kind of this history that we just got on, on who these people were, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and don't, you don't obviously have to speculate, we can do that as well. But to the degree that we know, you know, why did they pick, why did they pick Logan? Who is she? Well, so, I guess I'll first say, you know, there, there is kind of ongoing, um, dissatisfaction with the, 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 the process for selecting regional bank presidents, yeah. because, yeah. Um, you know, uh, they are, uh, they actually work for private corporations that are owned by member banks. They are not part of the government, um, although regional banks are obviously overseen by the Federal Reserve. And so, I mean, you know, they're, they're not independent of, of the government, but they are, are, are private companies. And so for forever, basically, there's been a lot of uh, opacity in, in the whole selection process of how um, you pick a regional bank president because, you know, they don't have to go through Senate confirmation. Yeah. Um, there's the whole sort of parlor games of, you know, people's names being like, you know, 
getting out there and, and talked about in public or even going or when they get to the point of going through Senate vetting, that doesn't happen for regional Fed banks. So yeah. sometimes, you know, who's coming, sometimes, you know, who people who are, you know, who are going to get the job are, you know, sometimes that happens. Other times it's just like, oh, wow, you know, okay. Um, you know, who's this person? Let's go find out who they are. Uh, also, um, in the last few years, the regional banks and the Fed in general have been facing a lot of pressure over diversity um, yeah. and broadening out the ranks of who uh, who serves on the regional banks because over the century that you know and I know you've done you guys have done work on this um, yeah you know the hundred years or more the Fed's been around uh, it's been pretty much you know white men drawn from you know finance or business who have run uh, pretty much anything in the Federal Reserve yeah. and yeah. and that is that in the last few years has started to change in 2017. Uh, the Atlanta Fed selected Rafael Bostic, who was the first ever African-American um, to serve as a regional bank president. Uh, earlier this year, the Boston Fed selected Susan Collins to uh, as their next president, first ever black female uh, regional bank president. Um, and going into this, uh, as the Dallas Fed navigated its search process, you know, they were facing um, pressure from some folks to uh, pick a Latino because there's never been yeah. a Latino uh, who's ran a regional bank. And the Dallas Fed district is uh, obviously, you know, got a yeah. very substantial Latino re uh, representation. And so uh, the bank was, you know, facing, the, you know, th that sort of external pressure to, you know, to pick a diversity candidate. But at the same time, um, you know, picking a person to run a regional bed, regional Fed bank is, is, I think it's more complicated than a lot of people recognize because running a regional bank is not just about monetary policy or, yeah. or economic thinking. It's actually, it's actually a lot of management stuff. I mean, they're big institutions. I think the Dallas Fed is twelve hundred people that work for it. Um, you know, it's, it's they're large institutions. So you know, you you know, as it's been explained to me, actually regional Fed bank presidents really don't spend substantial parts of their day, you know, like sitting there blue sky thinking about economics. They're going to committee yeah. meetings and doing management things and, you know, meetings all day long. And, yeah. and so a lot of management stuff that they have to do. And that's actually the lion's share of their job. And so trying to find, you know, a person for the thing is, is more complicated than that. And also, you know, that, uh, they say, you know, Dallas said that they did definitely want somebody, you know, who could represent the interest of the district to, you know, be, you know, it's Texas yeah. and the Texas folks are very, you know, proud about Texas and Texas. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that was something that, you know, they did allude to wanting a candidate who could, who could fit that bill. And, uh, but obviously, you know, they did have the situation with with Rob and the, and the trading controversy and, um, you know, wanting to make sure and uh, obviously the Fed has gone through a whole upheaval about it, you know, it's ethics rules, yep. changing all the ethics rules, restricting everything. And, and um, I also don't know, I would be very interested to know the the new ethics rules basically substantially limit just about any kind of financial activity, uh, you know, a bank president uh, can engage. I mean, Federal Reserve staff yeah. and DC senior staff, bank presidents, their family members face incredibly restrictive conditions for their financial situations now. And so, you know, if you are a prominent, fancy person who might, you know, be considering a job like this, um, you know, it, it pays pretty well. I think I think I had uh, Dallas pays, I think, 440000 you know, $440,000 a year to do that job. But, you know, you basically have to kind of, if you have a, any kind of exotic retirement situation set up, <laughs> that's gone, you know. I mean, you that. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that might be an impediment to somebody. But, um, you know, we don't know all the machinations that, you know, got us to the selection that they made in, in the New York Fed um, 
and selecting uh, Lori Logan, who ran the uh, system open market account um, for the New York Fed. But there is obviously a tradition in the Fed of, you know, promoting within. There's been a lot of people who've, you know, gotten elevated out of different positions, you know, research directors. Uh, you know, yeah. Loretta Mester was the research director in Philadelphia, becomes the Cleveland Fed head. You know, there's a lot of people, yeah. you know, the, they move up through the system and they move around. And so uh, it is not you know, it is not a surprise to see, you know, a, a high ranking Fed staffer from one bank move, move on to become the uh, president of another. And so I guess that's sort of the context in which, you know, the, I, I see the Dallas, Dallas Fed having gotten to this point. Awesome. Yeah, Stephen, what was, you know, your reaction yesterday as you, as you saw the news, and as you were thinking of, of this, of this position? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my my visceral reaction was one of excitement, because I, I really like Lori, and I know she's really sharp, um, you know, really understands markets and, and it's, you know, it's always important to have somebody like that in the room, really understands plumbing. Uh, so I, I, and, you know, just to follow up on Michael's comments, I understand that she is very serious about the management, the management piece too. She's not just like, you know, off in the markets clouds in her head. She's, she's really good with personnel as far as I understand. So, um, and, and managing, you know, her, her big kingdom over there. And I, I don't know how many people, she are officially under her. I wonder if, she, I don't know if it's how it compares to the Dallas Fed as a whole um, in the markets group, but anyways. Uh, and the other thing, I guess, to follow up, Mike, is the, you said, you talked about how, you know, they kind of want someone to represent the Texas, you know, or Dallas Fed region. You know, she spent the last 20 some years in New York. Doesn't hail from Texas, I don't think. Yeah. Um, what, what happens, what happens on day one? Like, does, you know, they give her the box set of Dallas and some, you know, the la like the last few reports, um, of like regional color, you know, cause that's kind of part of the job is regional understanding and yeah, sort of advocating yeah. for the region. I mean, and, and the, 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 the Dallas Fed is an interesting of, of the, you know, they're all, all the regional banks have interesting aspects to them, you know, given, you know, whatever they're, wherever they're seated, you know, they have various levels of expertise, but Dallas is obviously very interesting because of immigration issues. You know, they have a lot of expertise in immigration uh, and energy policy. Um, and again, those are, those are things that don't na naturally, you know, track from, uh, you know, what Lori Logan's been mm -hmm. doing in New York, you know, you know, doing the hands-on implementation of monetary policies. So those are, you know, those are things she's going to have to, you know, uh, I don't necessarily say get up to speed with, but, you know, she's definitely going to have to like engage with those things because those are kind of expertise uh, areas that the Dallas Fed uh, brings to the table. But it's, it's also interesting in that, you know, the last two Dallas Fed presidents have been, you know, super market and financially oriented, even though, you know, Wall Street is not in the Dallas Fed district. Right. Um, and, you know, they talked a lot about, you know, financial conditions and things like that. And, and that's, you know, those things weren't necessarily going on in, in the Dallas Fed district. So, you know, if Dallas wanted a voice that could speak on the national stage about financial issues, you know, they've, they've got a, a you know, a star uh, in, in yeah. Laurie Logan. I mean, she, you, you couldn't pick anybody who could be closer to, you know, market and financial things. So, you know, that given their leadership profile over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, that it, it makes sense that, you know, that they would want her voice there. Uh, you know, I suspect what it's like for a lot of these things. I mean, uh, you know, they'll, there's a lot of public speeches and road shows and going out and going to small towns in Texas and hitting the rotary clubs and yeah. the clubs and speaking to them and finding out. And so, you know, I imagine 
it'll be like it always is. You know, she'll come in and she'll have to hit the road and go out and start meeting the locals and finding out what they're concerned about and, and you know, listening to them. And, and over time, we'll see how how the, you know, the, the Texas angle, you know, plays yeah. out for her. So the follow on question, you know, speaking of they could get nobody better, you know, to handle financial markets types issues is the question of does this sort of create a vacuum in New York? I mean, obviously, the Fed's balance sheet is active right now, you know, things are going on, and they're going to lose Lori over the summer. Do we know how that transition is going to be handled? I mean, is there a front runner? Do we think it's going to be smooth? I, I, at this point, I have no insight into that. Um, and uh, the New York Fed has, you know, they've had some turnover, you know, in, mm-hmm. in those positions. Um, and uh, so uh, they've got a new person. I'm, the, the, their name isn't on the top of my head right now, but they're coming in to help, you know, is, is in, the, in the top ranks of the, you know, the market implementation sort of thing. But yeah, they're going to have to find a new manager for the SOMA portfolio. And obviously they're going to have to do it at a time where, you know, big things are afoot, uh, you know, because the Fed starting on June, excuse me, starting on June 1st is going to be starting to shrink its balance sheet and start, you know, phasing in the runoffs. And uh, they're going to be doing it, obviously, in, in you know, if, if current conditions are still as they are, you know, in June, it's going to be, you know, pretty hairy times. I mean, mm-hmm. so, so it's, this is, this is, a whoever's going to be managing, you know, the actual mechanics of the balance sheet rundown are going to be doing it in, much more fraught conditions than the uh, than when it happened in the last uh, you know period of I guess it was 2017 to 2019 when they gradually wound yeah. it down in, in generally pretty placid you know once they got past the whole taper tantrum thing you know that that was all pretty a pretty placid process and and we do not know that that's going to be the case this time around and uh, so yeah the New York Fed has big shoes to fill and 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 this, and they probably need to fill them film fairly quickly too yeah yeah then they gave themselves till august end of august i think so they'll have they'll have a couple of months to do it but yeah i i agree that's a that's a huge point are there other things you know i i i read uh or i listened to actually michael lewis's liar liars poker so he he, he did like a, a new edition uh, a couple of months ago uh in audio form of he he read it and one of the big running jokes in throughout the whole book is uh, is is doing everything you possibly could not to get sent to do equities in Dallas. Like that's <laughs> one of the that's one of the big that's one of the big jokes. And yeah. somebody on so, somebody on Twitter yesterday, uh, and I apologize to whoever this is because they're probably one of the six people that listens to this to this podcast. Um, they 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 asked, you know, is this really a promotion? And you had mentioned a little bit about you know like going on roadshow and 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 having you know a bunch of managerial uh, jobs. But somebody asked, you know, yeah, is this a promotion? What th- these jobs are very very different. I was wondering, and this is to kind of to both of you, either either one, you know. What are some things that they that that, that she's gonna gain? What are some things that she's gonna she's gonna lose? Uh, um, yeah. Well, and what do you think about that? I mean, I I can't speculate on whether how she views it. I mean, I was yeah, sure, she, sure. I would assume if, if she took the job, <laughs> she wanted it, you know. So, yeah. um, uh, because obviously it involves the you know, relocation and all that. Yeah. So it's right. I mean, it's it's, it's Dallas a deal. And if you if you've been living in been living in new york city for you know uh since 19 at least since 1999 and then to move to dallas that's a that's a really different thing um and uh but you know i guess you could see it as a sort of a natural progression as you you know you you move up and um and 
in a way the you know the New York Fed kind of rejiggered how they you know did the management of the of the of the you know the technical side of things you know whereas it you know when when Bill the former New York Fed president William Dudley had um, after he was retired as Goldman Sachs's chief economist ran the uh, system open market account for the New York Fed and was promoted from that job to be the New York Fed president and he retired in 2018. Um, so it had that job has been a stepping stone to other things. And so you again, part of that whole promote from within the, the yeah. kind of promotion ladder, you can you can see where that that position takes you to another position. And obviously, then once you become a regional Fed president, you know, people are uh people are listening to you. You know, you get to share your views about things and you get to weigh in on things. And so when you are the manager of the system open market account and you give a speech as, as that person, you have to be incredibly careful to be, you know, very technical and to not uh, not say more than is yours to say. You know, you're you are basically given direct directions from, you know, uh, the you know governors and the FOMC members to do something. And so when you speak, you have to basically talk in terms of, you know, technically this is what we're doing. I have no views on whether anything beyond that, it's just technically right. This is what we're doing, and this is what we see in markets, and that's kind of as far as you can as far as you can go in that sort of position. And now she can speak on whatever she wants to. I mean, literally whatever she yeah. wants to speak on. And in the tradition, so, hopefully she'll continue. Yeah, and so uh, and and that was in some of the commentary I saw from yesterday is just that from people. Uh, you know, we don't know what she thinks about economics. We don't know if she's a hawk. We don't know if she's a dove. We don't know. We don't know. You know, there's no public record to to deduce any uh, any kind of leanings on her part. There was an interesting note from um, a man named Krishna Guha at Evercore ISI, who used to be the uh, head of communications at the New York Fed and overlapped with uh, Lori Logan. Um, and so, while he, it's probably been almost ten years since he was at the uh, New York Fed. Um, you know, he was there when she was there, and so. Uh, perhaps has some insights into her thinking that, you know, other people don't have. And, and in his note yesterday, he talked about he expected she would be a centrist and fairly pragmatic and wouldn't necessarily yeah. swing out to, you know, reflexively either, either you know, hawk or dove. You know, you saw her as a pragmatic um, and, and, and again noted the, you know, the, the great opportunity she has to speak out and, and influence the conversation. Um, so I, that's as much as I can say about that. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's great, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, to see what what she does with it. Well, uh, uh, Stephen uh, or or Mike, any I guess Stephen first, any any last minute comments or thoughts that you, that you had about this before we wrap it up? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, it'll be good to watch. It, it it's a little weird this sort of you know like we said we'll kind of wait for speeches, but they won't start till August, and then we're talking about a vacancy in New York that comes up in August, but. It's also kind of this weird thing of like, you know, you hope it doesn't impede anything that happens between now and then. Like, you know, you get like, I don't like, it's not like she's going to recuse herself from the day to day or anything like that. But you know what I mean? Like it, it, this sort of thing can be disruptive. And so hopefully that's, that's not the case as well. And I, I don't expect it will be, but just another thing, you know, that's sort of lingering in the background here. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, in that case, the Fed probably hopes that kind of this, they're, having laid out their plan for balance sheet operations and, and and wanting it to be in the background. I mean, it seems like it would probably take a lot for them to deviate from the plan, but uh, 
you know, but then again, things are so very, very volatile that, that you, yeah. do, you don't fully, I mean, you, that, that commitment will only get you so far. Yeah. And maybe August is about the border of, <laughs> of that, right? Like, I think, I think, yeah. I think you guys are both getting at that point that the next couple of months are pretty, pretty determined. They've been pretty clear about which direction they're going. The fall is going to be who knows? Like, I think anything is possible in the fall. And so it'll be exciting. Yeah. To... Her, her first vote could be 75 basis points. Oh, I guess she's not till next year. So she yeah, be... she, got, she got to wait to take her shot till next year, but boy, yeah, if, that's right. If it's next year and we're still, to, we're still talking about 75 basis point rate hikes. <laughs> I mean, Oh Lord. That's, Oof, yeah. That's, yeah. That's bad news, man. There are bigger problems. Exactly. Well, let's, well, let's call it, uh, well, let's call it there. Um, uh, Michael, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And Steven, always good to have you back. Thanks, guys. Thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, you can find in the show notes, we'll have a few links, including uh, uh, Michael's story from yesterday uh, that also had some great details um, that I that I just remembered that I wanted to, wanted to bring up here. She, Lori was involved in 9-11 and in 2008 and in 2020, which in like the central banking crisis and emergency stuff were the, were the big ones. So, so definitely go go check out that that article there. Uh, he's at uh, Michael S. Derby on Twitter. Steven is at Stephen Kelly 49 and I'm at Caleb Nygaard. Until next time, thanks for listening.